Father, this morning we just come to you, Father, with thanksgiving, with praise, with adoration. And as we come now to the ministry of the word, thy word, which you have magnified above all your name, your word which you have forever settled in the heavens, your word that created everything through the spirit. And everything you created is held together by the word of your power. We are unworthy, Lord, even to speak that word. Make us worthy to speak, to hear, to believe, to obey, that you may be glorified in everything, that Christ Jesus may have preeminence in everything. Speak to us, Lord, this morning. Let the river flow, Lord, unhindered, for wherever that river flows, it always brings life. Speak, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So many of the songs which we sang were from the Old Testament, and I'm sure our brethren from Israel who are listening must have enjoyed it. We have a lot of listeners from Israel too now. So God is moving all the way from Alaska to Australia and the river flows through Israel, Saudi, Middle East, China, India. We just thank God. God is awesome. The excitement every day is to two things. It's not about the healing and all that, of course. God thank, God bless those who are. But to know people are getting saved. People are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are of eternal significance. So this morning, even as we go to the Word, last Saturday, we looked at who is God? That is who you are. We turn to the first scripture for today, Romans 8 and verse 28, 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. And we know. Question is, do we know? It's not an intellectual knowledge that the Bible is talking about here. Do we really, really know? Because if we know, our response when things happen will show us that we know by now. So God takes us through a series of experiences in life so that we will actually know that all things, all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the evil, done by man, done by the devil, whatever you want to name it, everything works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. They work together for what? For good. The overarching theme of the Bible is about the goodness of God. In spite of the wickedness of man. In spite of the wickedness of man. The goodness of God. God is good. We sing, God is good. All the time God is good. The question is, we know it here. And we sing it from here, but do we know it in our hearts that God is good? 
In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, the Bible says, a very, very difficult period in their history. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. They're thoughts of good, good thoughts. To give you a future and a hope. Where are they going? To captivity. Even when we think we are in prison. Even when we think we are in captivity. Please remember. God's thoughts towards his children are always, always good. We have to hammer it into our brains. With a divine hammer and nails. God is good all the time. It doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter what you go through. God is good all the time. So the question is, do we know? Paul says to be Holy Spirit, but we know. And can we include ourselves in that we? Last night, talking to my sister and then in the morning to my wife while we were praying with them, I was saying, unless our eyes are lifted up from Corona to Christ, from the things of this world to the things that are above, we will never appreciate how good God is. We will not appreciate the peace we have in the midst of the storm, which no amount of money can buy. The joy that we have, which is not connected to things at all. The security, the eternal security we have in Christ, which even death cannot take away. An eternal home he is building for us, which nobody can take. No landlord will come and say, evict. And when pandemic takes place, the government has to tell the landlords, don't evict. Unless we see with the eyes of faith, we will not appreciate how God, how good God is. Every day to us. You know, the comfort we have, even when a saved loved one passes away, which they do not have. The others do not have. That's why they tear their hair and roll on the ground. They have no hope. But we know it's temporary. We know one day we will also go. That in the midst of death, David could stand up and comfort his servants by saying, I know he's not coming back to me, but I know I will go to him. Then only we will appreciate. That's why Romans 8, 28 says, all things, that's the most difficult thing to believe, most difficult thing for the believer to believe that, all things work together for the good. The good, the bad, the evil, everything that happens in life, God is able to turn it around for our good. Either now, in this life, or definitely in the eternity. Okay? That's, that's where you have to live it to the sovereignty of God. The problem is we are caught fixated on planet Earth. We want it to be turned now. May not happen. Hebrews 11.35 is a standard statement to that. Women received the dead raised to life again. Others were tortured. But they were made perfect on the other side. Okay? You could be raised from the dead here. You turned evil to good. Or you chose to die because you did not like the terms of resurrection. You didn't like. Because the enemy says, worship me and I shall give you back what you lost. And you refused the terms. The terms did not please you. Okay? So there are those who shut the mouths of the lions. And there were millions who were devoured by the lions. Okay? So please understand But both of them knew that God was good all the time. 
that I said the most difficult part to believe in Romans 28 is that all things work for our good, either now or then. But for whom is the third question. For those who love him. Those who love him. Okay, like I said on, I don't know, one of these days I said, we all love. Babies love, children love, young people love, fathers love, everybody loves. It's not the same. So we do not question one another's love for God. Love for God. Okay, we do not question, because only God knows. And God receives the love of everybody. If a father who has five children or six children of different ages will receive the love of everyone, though the youngest one who may be a toddler, he or she's love is expressed so differently from the oldest one. And the oldest one expresses love like we told her, the father will say, are you okay? Or something wrong with you. But uh, if the toddler expresses love like the older one, he will look, what has happened to this one? Okay, So please do not judge somebody's love for God. Somebody's love for God. Okay? So we will come to that later. And fourth one is the most important one in Romans 8.28. Those who are called according to his purpose. To those who are called according to his purpose. Everyone who is saved is saved because they were called. If you were not called, you would not be saved. So if you were called, you have a purpose. And the calling and the purpose are intricately connected. You cannot separate it. Yet most people live a separated life. They know they are saved, but they do not know their purpose. And we need to realize, this is, I'm talking to those who are saved. Those who are saved. As Job said in, in, in the book of Job, as sparks go up from the flames, is, is man born to trouble. But the troubles of the unbeliever and the troubles of the believer, though they may look the same, are not the same. The troubles of the believer has been ordained by God because it is part of God's purpose in his life. That is why it is so important to know your purpose, your calling and your purpose. Because the problem is, if we do not know our purpose, I did not give it, I did not give it there, but in Acts chapter 9 and verse 5, this is what, this is a man who's called from his mother's womb, but he has no clue. When he actually understands his Calling, he's maybe around 20, 22 years because he was a young man, maybe in his 20s. And what does God Jesus say? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You're opposing me. You're persecuting me. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. He's saying, Paul, the very things you are fighting have been placed there in my, in your life by me. You are resisting the very things which I have put it in your life to fulfill my purpose in your life. And we do not realize sometimes believers are not fighting the devil. They're fighting God. We say, submit to God and resist the devil. Instead, we submit to the devil and resist God. Without realizing so many things which happen in our life has been ordained by God in our life to fulfill his purpose. And what is the Twofold purpose, like a coin has two sides. Every one of us has two sides of God's purpose. Ephesians 1, six, and then Ephesians 2.10. Uh, 1.5 maybe. Okay. Yeah, 1.5, not 1.6, 1.5. Having... Oh, give me a second. Holy and blameless. 1.4. Yeah, 1.4. Four, five, six, okay, four. 
Okay, that's our purpose. Just as He chose. Remember, we are called. We are chosen. We are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Before even God said, "Let there be light," we were all chosen because God has seen everything. He lives outside time. He lives in eternity. So everybody is saved before you were born. You were chosen. What was the purpose? That we should be holy and without blame, blameless, not perfect. We'll be made perfect in one day, but we can live our lives blameless, holy, <coughs> blameless, and in love. <coughs> this is the purpose. This is a work that God is doing in us, and that doesn't come easy. It is not easy. It is difficult. But sometimes most of the things ordained in our lives by God are to make us holy and to make us blameless and to make us loving. Okay, the work he does in us, <clears throat> then the work he does through us. Ephesians 2.10. Yeah, 2.10. We are his workmanship, meaning God is working on us. He didn't finish. We are work in progress. Okay, we are work in progress. He's working on us. Who, where were we created? In Christ Jesus. First we were created in Adam. Now when we are born again, we are created in Christ Jesus. For what? Good works. Again, what God prepared beforehand. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we should walk in them. Okay? Walk in them. So two things. The work God is doing in us and the work that God is doing through us. And the purpose will determine everything. And we cannot live lives Without purpose. And our purpose should not be so or so narrow that we have only a purpose that is temporary. That's why Paul says, if in only in this life you have hope, you are the most miserable of men. And most of purpose of Christians, we are not talking about non-Christians, non-believers, believers are restricted to a career. And then when you retire, you don't know what to do. There's so many retired Christians have no ministry because they did not wear in ministry when they were working. They lived their lives for a career. And when they retired, they said, I will serve God. But when they retired God, they don't know how to serve God because you know what? We have only one career, to serve God here and there, all our life. So we have to be very, very careful that we do not have a very myopic vision of life that we we. Our our entire life on earth is naming and claiming from God for a life on earth. We will ultimately become miserable towards the end. So we need to understand all things, when the Bible says all things work together, it means, what does it mean? It means, if you look at over there, the purpose was there before. A single problem, adversity or trial arrived. The purpose was there. Even before you are formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, I chose you, I have called you Jeremiah. After that, all the problems comes. Before any problem Jeremiah will face, because life was full of problems and adversities and trials and imprisonment and beating. But before any problem came, the purpose was there. The purpose was there. You have to see that. Before any problem arrived, the purpose was there. So, the point is this. So, the problem cannot steal your purpose because it was already foreordained. And you should not allow your problem or your distress steal your purpose. So you should say, I will not die in my distress. 
I will not die in your trouble. Because people are dying and they are so afraid of death. And you should be able to say, I will not die in my distress or my trouble. You know why? Because my destiny is greater than my distress. I'm a called out person. There were millions and millions and billions of people on earth and God called out certain people unto salvation. There were all these nations on the earth stretching from coast to coast, ocean to ocean, and God called out a nation called Israel out among them. So Israel cannot be destroyed. There are only two entities on planet earth which cannot be destroyed. One is Israel, the other is the church. They cannot be destroyed because before any problem came into Israel's life, the purpose was destined. Israel is my firstborn son. Cannot be destroyed. They may be overrun, but they cannot be destroyed. Because God has a purpose with Israel and God has a purpose with the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Hell can come with all its power, with all its might. It cannot prevail over the church. You know why? Because of purpose. And we should all be able to look in the mirror and declare everything. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. You know what? I will come through. You know why? My distress is not going to destroy my destiny because my destiny is greater than my distress. Because before any problem came, my purpose was given. Beforehand. To be holy and to be blameless. And I was created in Christ Jesus to do these works which was decided beforehand. Therefore, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. These things have to get in. These fundamental principles have to get in so that God can show you your purpose. God doesn't show your purpose first. He first sees that you have this determination, that you understand the ways of God, and you actually really know that He is good. And then you go through your trials and testing, you will actually realize, you know what? God is good. God is good. You need to know, if you are a child of God, hell is not in charge of a child of God. Heaven is. Heaven is. Hell is not. Hell comes against or hell tries to tempt or seduce. But hell is not in charge of a child of God. Heaven is. Our issue, Christians' issues often is that we do not see God as the source of our trials and troubles. So, his twofold purpose can be fulfilled in the called out one. Church means called out one. Ecclesia means those who are called out, those who were called out of the world. So it is not the devil often who is the source of our troubles. It is God's purpose which is the source of our troubles. And the troubles he allows are not to break us, but to actually make us like Christ. Because purpose will define everything for the child of God, ultimately. First Peter 1.9 Receiving the end of your faith. What is that? The salvation of your souls. What is the end of my faith? My soul has been completely, utterly be saved from every corruption of the world. And it has been transformed through faith into the divine nature of God. And First Thessalonians 5.23 That God of peace may himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved what? 
blameless at the second coming, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you as faithful who also will do it. The issue is that we see body first. God doesn't. He sees body last. So when we hear and see these reports and pictures of COVID and all those uh, PP kits and uh, social distancing and masks and people struggling for breathing and then comes the black fungus. Nobody even want to look at the picture of what it does. Because we are body first. But God is spirit first. He looks at the body last. And we see the desperation of people for life. Because they think life is in the body. God says, no, it is not in the body. To the length people will go. By the time you come out of the hospital, people come out of the hospital, the bill is longer than a newspaper. And they have begged, borrowed, taken money from everywhere to pay the bills. People are so desperate to live when this black fungus attacks. They are willing to lose their eyes, part of their brain, just to come out alive. Yet nobody is thinking that life is in the soul. It is not in the body. Salvation is the salvation of your soul. And ultimately when Jesus comes, how will my soul be presented? How will my spirit be presented? And it doesn't matter, you come through COVID, Corona, untouched, but your soul is lost. Soul is lost. It is, it is pointless. So God is saying, don't put body first. Take care of your body, but don't put body first. Because God puts body last. So every trial, every problem, every distress for the child of God is designer made, custom made for God's children. Custom made. Okay, There are trials, troubles that comes to us because of sin. God says solution, simple, repent. If anyone sins, you have an advocate. If you repent and confess, God is faithful. He will forgive. So that is not the issue. Everybody knows if you trouble comes of sin, what should you do? I have sinned. Your sin has been taken away. They know that. But we are talking about the other ones. Okay. There are mistakes we make because of mistakes is not sin. It is because of ignorance. The sin of ignorance. We all make mistakes because we did not know. Did not know. You know, Thomas L.Y. Edison, light, how many times? 900 plus. Okay, 972, okay, whatever, 900 plus time, okay? And then he got the light bulb. So they told him, you had to fail this many times? He said, no, those were steps. Those were steps. So God will allow us to fail. Because through our failures, we actually learn. The only man who never failed was Jesus Christ. Before and after him, every man will fail. And God allows it. Because through our failures, light comes. The light bulb. So sometimes even our failures are divinely appointed. Okay? The pressure is divinely appointed. Because only pressure, we looked at that, will bring forth the growth, the fruit, that God looks for, God desires. You may say, Pastor, which I hear often, I'm going through hell right now. Question is, are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, your destiny is more powerful than hell. He may lead you to hell, 
but he will not keep you there. Principle, Acts chapter 2. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. Why? You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. It's a principle. It's a principle. You will not leave my soul in hell. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. What is that? I may be going through hell, but I will not stay there. I will come out. I will come out. You see, Jesus, when he went to the cross, had a promise. He had a promise. That's what I say. There is purpose, there is promise, and there is distress. And he's going to the cross, and he has a promise. From the psalmist. A promise given by Jesus to David for Jesus. My soul, you will not leave in Hades, in the grave. You will not let me see corruption. So I'm going through hell, but I will not live in hell. You know why? Because I have a promise. I have a promise because I have a purpose. God never reveals his purpose to people without giving them promise. Because the purpose without promise is trying to swim within your own strength. It's impossible to fulfill a purpose without promise. Okay, Like there are 9,000 plus promises in the Bible. It makes no sense to most Christians because they have no purpose. The minute you discover your purpose, the promises will start taking power. Then you will read Bible in a different way. You will not be reading storybooks. You will not be reading the stories of the Bible. You will be receiving the promises of God. The logos becomes a rhema. It becomes living because the purpose is defined. Fulfill the purpose, promises are given. So Jesus comes and says, Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written upon me, about me. I have come to do your will, O God, your purpose. And he says, through the Bible, there are prophecies and there are promises. And as I go to the cross, I have a promise. You will not leave my soul in hell. I may be going through hell, but I'm not going to stay there. Unless you're planning to shack up with the devil, you're not going to live there. I'm coming out because my destiny is stronger and more powerful than hell itself. Christ's destiny was stronger than all the powers of hell. You need to understand, the devil does not have power over us unless you give it to him. God may take you through hell and you will come out of it to prove the power of resurrection. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me all you are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Okay. First God says, come. You're weary, you're tired because of sin. Come to me. I'll give you rest. And only Christ can give you rest from the power, the penalty, the burden of sin. Religion cannot. Religion has never given man rest. It cannot. You will have to keep on bathing in rivers. Then finally throw your dead body into that same river. There is no rest. You will have to keep on going to certain places. Go around it. Stone the stone. And saying, I'm stoning Satan. And Satan is standing on the side and laughing at you. You come back. You have no rest. Okay? You have no rest. Okay? Or you'll be grim-faced like Buddha and you have to create a laughing Buddha because all, originally all pictures, he was very grim. He was practically an atheist. He never spoke about God. 
So why did you leave your family, your kingdom, children? What did you receive at the end? Nothing. You became godless. Religion will not give you rest. Rest can be only given by Christ. The one who took care of your sins is the only one who can give you rest. But after that is, once you have come and received rest, purpose begins. And purpose begins in verse 29. What does he say? <coughs> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, we don't actually, rest for the body is very easy. Eat healthy, exercise, go to sleep, your body will be rested. Rest for the soul is not enough, it's not easy. Rest for the soul is not easy. And Jesus calls. Okay, it's not Jesus calls ministry, but Jesus calls. And what does he say? He says two things. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. One thing Jesus asks us to learn of him is first his attitude. He says, you know what I am? I am meek and lowly. I am gentle and I am lowly. This is a work he wants to do in us. At the end of the day, as each year passes by, this is a question you need to ask yourself. Am I become more gentle? Am I become more meek? Am I become more humble? Because this is the first thing Jesus says. Learn of me. Learn from me. Learn of me. Learn from me. What is that? I am gentle and lowly. And we don't think this as life's big lessons. Because gentle and lowly means nothing in this world. Immediately you will say, what do you think? I am a footmat. Immediate response is, am I a footmat? But here is Jesus says, come and learn of me. Come and learn of me. And the second, along with that, he says what? Take my yoke. You know, that yoke is our purpose. Yoke is our purpose. You know, Christ cannot be yoked to somebody who does not have his purpose in our heart. See, when you take a bullock cart, there are two of them yoked together in one purpose. They cannot pull in two different directions because they are yoked together. They are yoked together. A lot of Christians are not yoked with Christ Jesus. They try to use God. God does not use them. They claim it, they name it, and they say, look what I have got. But where are I going to take all this? We are going to take it. They use God. And God, being a good father, sometimes allows himself to be used. Like we all parents allow our little children to use us. Daddy, come and play with me. Okay, Sit down like an idiot on the floor, crawl like a you know, jump like a frog. We do all kind of things. What, what are we doing? We are allowing the child to use us. Then there are children whom God uses. But children who are God uses are yoked to him. So he says, take my yoke. Take my yoke. Yoke is our purpose. What is that purpose? We are yoked together with him. One, to become like him and to allow him to do his works through us. Romans 8.29 we saw. Whom he predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. What is the image of his son? When Jesus came, he was yoked to his father. He was meek and lowly. And he said, I have no other desire but to do the work of my father. I am not here come to do my work. I have come here to do my father's work. I have not come here to bring glory to myself. I have come here to bring glory to him. I will not do anything of my own. So he showed us a way. 
showed us our. We need to understand that. Listen carefully, otherwise we will not understand life. The believer will not understand his life. Unbeliever does not understand anything anywhere. But the believer is not understanding how God has ordained our lives. Turn to Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 to 16, quickly. This is Abraham. Before, before Joseph is even an idea, before Jacob has gone to Egypt, before Israel is even formed, God tells him, Abraham, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. Afflict them for how many years? 400 years. The question is, why does Israel have to be afflicted for 400 years? 400 years of bondage. 400 years of pain and trials and suffering and tears before they could come out and then 40 years in the wilderness because of their rebellion, not because of God. So it becomes 440 if you want to put a round figure. Why, Lord, before they can possess? Why? Why do they have, why did a nation have to go through 450 years of suffering? So God said, so that I could get a meek and lowly generation who would possess that land. He said to get a meek and lowly generation who would be yoked to me. It took me 440 years of trials and testings and sufferings. The first generation that came out were not meek and lowly. So they rebelled against Moses. They refused to be yoked to him. The second generation was yoked to Joshua as one man. One man. And therefore, they were able to possess the land. And the others lost the land because they shook off the yoke. And they said, we like other gods. So the question we need to learn, if we may go through life and miss out the fun. That's why I was telling my wife yesterday, I think. I said, Corona is an eye-opener. A lot of people will come through Corona untouched, vaccination and all because they have no calling, no purpose. They'll come through and they will say, look at me. God will one day look down and says, look at them. Others will get saved through Corona. So Corona was not a disaster for them. It was a blessing for them because when everything stops, they will leave their idols behind and cry out to the living God. They may come out or they may die, but they will die saved. Believers will come out through Corona, many of them, some of them, untouched. Believers will die through Corona because their race is finished. Some believers will stay in hospital for a long time and then come out because they need lessons to be taught. Some believers will be there in hospital for a long time and then they will die because they have to put their house in order. Because we are looking at one trial, worldwide trial. Okay, There are so many combinations over here. So many combinations over If you are not part of the elect, you were not predestined, foreknown by God to be saved, it doesn't matter how you come through corona. Whether you live or die, it's irrelevant in eternity. It's irrelevant. Okay? Irrelevant. So please understand. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2. The lessons we learn from Israel. You shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. Where? Why should God take me to the wilderness? 
all these trials, and as if I had enough in Egypt, you bring me over here. Says, that was not enough. This is a different one. Bondage of Israel, bondage of Egypt, and the wandering in the wilderness. But why did he bring me to the wilderness? Mark that one word, to humble you. Forget, test you. Humble you. He says to make you like me. You're forgetting my purpose. Lord, why am I going through that? I got saved to make you like me. You think I only got saved, you became like me? God says, no, you didn't. You didn't become like me at all. But I'm trying to make you through it. And it can be only through the adverse situations you will become like me. No? Mark that word, humble. Two generations are walking in the desert, in the wilderness. One became hardened and rebellious. The other became meek and lowly. Both were led to hell. That is wilderness. <laughs> one came out, one died there. Okay. okay. So don't blame the devil, always. He also gets offended when you blame him for a lot of things. He says, I am not responsible. Okay. Devil is not numero uno. He's not number one. He's not even number two. Actually, he has no number. He just another instrument God uses to refine his children. The title of one of Alistair MacLean's novels can be given to uh, the devil. Puppet on a chain. On a string. Puppet on a chain. Even he serves God's purpose in God's children's life. You know what? That dude does not even have the keys of his own house. Revelation 180. Revelation. That dude doesn't even have the keys of his own house. I am he who lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hate and of death. We give so much credit to this dude. He does not even have the keys of his own house. He's just a disgruntled ex-employee who was terminated from service. Okay. So don't blame him for everything. Keep your, I don't, like I said, don't magnify your sin, magnify your savior. Don't magnify your disease, magnify your healer. Don't magnify the devil. Don't give him bow which he does not have. Let those idiots go to the circle and worship him. We don't. Okay, we tramp him. Okay. So what does it mean? Ultimately, what does it mean? It means in all these things, God is working in and through all these things to make us what he wants us to be. Okay? He's working in us and through us. And that's why the Bible is full of promises. But I say, like I said, these promises mean nothing. Because people do not see purpose. If you don't see purpose, you don't look at the promise. And then when you go through distress, you don't have a promise to hold on to. A lot of people, only when they go through distress, they look for a promise. But the promise doesn't work for them. Because they don't have any purpose. They have no purpose. Do you have your, do you know your purpose? Do you have at least a promise? We saw Abraham was called of the Ur of the Chaldeans and sent to a land he did not know. The Bible says he went without knowing where he was going. That's a walk of faith. But many years down the line in the promised land, in Genesis 13 and verse 17, purpose was revealed to him. Arise. Walk in the land through its length and its width for I give it to you. So he said, you know what? 
you're going to be a traveler. You will not live in one place. You will keep on moving around. For what? Why should I do? He says, it's beyond you, Abraham. You will not understand it. Because you are the father of faith. Your life will be a sign and a symbol for generations to come. Not Israel. There's somebody greater than Israel that is coming, which is called the church. Your life has to teach generations till the end. Therefore, this is your purpose. Otherwise, it doesn't make any difference. A man who enters at 75, dies at 175, 100 years of wandering in the promised land. And Hebrews 11, 8 and 9 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he I love it in our regional language. In the land of promises, he is an alien. Wandering. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. The land of promise, but foreign country. It's given to you, but you live like they're a stranger. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why should he dwell in? Why were they asked to dwell in tents? When Israel comes back from Egypt, they live in houses. But Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are called to live in tents. The dude who built the house, remember, he lost everything. His name was Lot. Why? First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Who was the first pilgrim? Abraham. Sojourners. Who are? What are we? If the, our father of faith was a sojourner and a pilgrim in the land of promise, God is telling you to live like that. He was literally to be an example asked to live in tents. Now, we are not asked to live in tents, but we are asked to live in our body as a tent. So Peter will say, this time has come for me to put away this tent. Live here as a stranger. Live here as an alien. Are we getting it? Are we getting it? Don't get too comfortable with this world. This is not, this is, this world is not your place. But this world will be given to you. This earth will be given to you. You're living as an alien in the promised land. One day the promised land will be yours. In the same way, one day you will inherit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have to inherit this place once. But right now, live like an alien, like a pilgrim. If you become a citizen here, you will not inherit earth. If you live like an alien here, you will inherit earth. As the principle, Abraham had to show to the believers. So he had a promise because he had a purpose. Genesis 26, verse 2 and 5. Another man, his son. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land. I will be with you. Bless you for you and your descendants. I will give all this land. So what is happening here? You know the context. The context is famine has hit the land. And famine is terrible. Everything is dying. Crops are failing. Land is dry. Cattle are dying. Everybody in a caravan are moving towards Egypt. And one man in the midst of the distress, God is saying, I give you a promise. Don't go from here. But Lord, everybody is going down. You stay here. You don't move. Lord, all I see is death. Distress, disease, and debt don't move. Lord, how can I? You have a promise. You have a purpose. They are all going down because they have no purpose. Do you know the name of anybody who went to Egypt? No. Do they have a purpose? No. You are different. You have a purpose. You cannot go with them. Even dead fish float downstream. They are dead while they are living. 
You don't go down with them. You stay here. But Lord, all I see is death. Stay here. You have a promise. You have a promise. So you see, Isaac had a promise. Isaac had a promise. And therefore the famine did not devour him. Actually in the famine, he did well. He did well. Because he was a man who was called. He was a man who had a purpose. And he was a man who had a promise. Genesis 28, verse 15. Third generation. Where is this man running away from his home? He's duped his father, duped his brother, and his brother is planning to kill him. The mother is uses duplicity over there. Says, oh, my son will also marry like the other fellow. So sent him to him. But basically she's trying to save his life. You see the whole family goes crooked. But Jacob is called. Jacob I have loved. Esau I hated. Even before the children came out of the womb. So he's a man called from the womb. He's running for his life. He has nothing except a stick and maybe one jola, one cloth bag. I don't know whether he had that too because he kept his head on a stone to sleep. Maybe the stone was softer than his bag. I don't know. This is a fellow running in fear. Nothing. You know what? God comes to him in the night in a dream and tells him, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. Wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. You know what? He's got a purpose. He's got a promise. Distress and Laban cannot kill him. Haran cannot destroy him. All the trials and the testings of a terrible father-in-law. He is an image of the devil himself. And two wives and four concubines cannot destroy Jacob. Jacob cannot be destroyed. Why? Because he's a called out one, he's a man with purpose, and he's a man with a promise, backed by a promise. I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go. He will make goof-ups, he will make mistakes, he will get drunk on his wedding night, he will marry the wrong woman. All his mistakes are overruled. Everything is overruled. His wives will use him like cards, gambling. Today with me, today with me. Everything overruled. You know why? Because he has purpose. And he has a promise. So his distress will not steal his destiny because his destiny is stronger than his distress. So I keep asking people, once you are saved, grow, grow, and one day God will speak to you. This is what I have called you for. I'm not telling you, he will ask you to leave your job. But your job will not become your career. Your career will become the kingdom of God. A career that extends into eternity where you will serve God here and you will serve God forever there. So David, Jacob cannot be destroyed. And Jacob is not a nice man. Actually, if you look through the story, you would prefer to be with Esau. But it doesn't matter. Because God says, I hated Esau. We were not chosen for our good looks. And our skills. We were chosen by the sovereign will of God. And God chose Jacob. And Jacob cannot be destroyed. So all these idiots in the Middle East trying to destroy Israel. Israel cannot be destroyed. Because God chose Israel. I'm not saying Israel today is good. But it is irrelevant. Some of the Muslim nations are actually better than Israel. But it is irrelevant. Israel was chosen by God. He made a covenant with them. And God will show mercy to whom he wants to show mercy. 46 verse 2 to 4. This is much, much later after he finds Joseph is alive. And Joseph sent all the carriages to bring him to Egypt. 
God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. You see what? Has he gone to Egypt? No. It's a man with a purpose. He's not saying this to Joseph. He's saying to Jacob. Joseph is there. He's prince of You know why he became prince of Egypt? For your sake. You will become a nation. You will go down there. I'm coming down with you. And you will come back here. And Joseph will close your eyes. He will live 17 years without fear in rest. Because before he even enters Egypt, he receives a promise. Because he's a man with a divine purpose and destiny. And he's the same God. He has never changed. Why? Why I'm telling you is how to face COVID. And the next one. And the next one. And the next one. And the next one. That will be unfolded in the last days. How do you come through this? You need to be people of destiny. And you are, whether you are, you know it or not. Everyone who is saved is a child of destiny. He has destined you. He has destined you to be transformed to the image of Christ Jesus. And he has already prepared works in which you are called to walk in them. Walk in them. Genesis 37, 6 and 7. I'm just given one. This is Joseph, the next generation, fourth. Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaves arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. One is enough. Two dreams were given. So as it's given, he has a purpose. And he has a promise. And after that will come the problems. <laughs> that is a PPP kit. Purpose, promise and problems He will go through the pit to slavery to the dungeon But nothing can destroy Joseph Only Joseph can destroy Joseph Satan cannot destroy Joseph All his ten brothers put together And all the forces of Egypt cannot destroy Joseph Because he's a man with a purpose and man with a promise See, Lot had no purpose. So we know the end of Lot, sitting outside a cave with four children. All his. Ishmael had no purpose. All he was wanted was to go hunting. Esau had no purpose. All he wanted to do was go hunting. Jacob had ten sons. The first ten had no purpose. So when trials came, they just bungled. And they didn't know what to do. Right? Romans 10.28, back again. All these things work together for good of those who love God. Those who love God. That's the key. Song of Solomon will say, love is as strong as death. New covenant love is stronger than death. Okay, Love God. Love God. Please, love God. 1 John 5, 1-3. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who, be, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. We love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. Jesus said, my yoke is, take my yoke. It's easy. When does his yoke become easy? When he says it is easy, it does not mean it is easy. It is easy only if you love him. 
That's the power of love. The greatest power released on earth is the baptism of love. He has not given you the spirit of love, but the spirit of love. It's a spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes you with love. And you have to keep asking God, fill me more and more with your love and your commandments. What you tell me to do won't be burdensome. It won't be, it won't be, it, it won't be a load on my shoulder. I will happily and willingly carry your yoke. And Jesus loved his father. Therefore the yoke his father put on him, which would lead him to the cross, to the cross, was not a burden for him. He went singing. He went singing to his death. He sang a hymn and went. Understand fundamental premises. So he could go all the way to the cross. Why? Because he loved his father and his father had given him one promise in Acts 2.27. What is that? You shall not leave my soul in Hades for you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And people understood that in the new covenant. The, the greats understood it. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, this is not intellectual stuff. This is experiential stuff. For the love of Christ compels us. He says, I am constrained by the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels me. I am constrained. If you want to allow God to finish his work in us, the work he does in us, the work he does through us. And we're going to face adversity all the way. All the way we're going to face adversities and problems and trials through people and through situations. And God will allow the devil to do that. Joseph was not sold by the Amalekites. Joseph was sold by his brothers. Joseph was thrown into the dungeon by a master to him who had been faithful. Get the picture. So the only question God asks, and Paul says, the love of God compels me. And before Peter can be restored, in spite of all the goofers he did, God just asked him only one question, primarily one question. Do you love me? If you love me, then all your sins and your mistakes and your adversities don't mean anything. If you love me, because there are two places where the Bible says, one is God never fails. Second, love never fails. That love of God can never fail. So God asks us this question, do you love me? If you love me, you will never end up a failure. You will fail, but you will never end up a failure. Never end up a failure. So all things work together for the good of those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. It's a loaded, in book of Romans, it's one of the most loaded verses. Okay. There's a calling, there's a purpose, and there is love, and everything works. And we need to know that. Acts chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. When Herod was about to... We know the context. Herod is arrested. James executed him, the brother of John. And next he picks... When he saw it pleased the people, he picked up Peter, the big man. James is gone. Now Peter is picked. And he's put him into prison. And after the feast was over, he was planning to execute him. And Herod was about to bring him out. The night, that night, Peter was sleeping. Bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the prison where keep door was keeping the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and light shone in the prison. Okay, we know he came. But if you look at words uh, 5, if I'm right, Peter is in prison and the church is praying. Church was praying. Okay, church is praying. Let me ask you this question. 
Peter was therefore kept in prison and constant prayer was being offered to God for him by the church. God will use the prayer of his people to send an angel to bring Peter out. But the point is this. Peter probably, as far as I know, has no clue people are praying for him. Peter doesn't know people are praying for him. Do we know who Peter prays for us? We do not. Okay. So the, my question is, people, Peter has no clue people are praying for him. How does he sleep? Because he has a promise. John 21, verse 18. He's got a promise. The promise given to Jesus by most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He knows I'm not old. I'm not old. And this is not the way I'm going to die. It's not the way I'm going to die. My time has not come. He's planning to kill me tomorrow. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. Satan cannot, through man, kill me. He cannot kill me. Why? My time hasn't come yet. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn around and go to sleep. Instead of restlessly clanking all the chains until the soldiers smack me. I, you know what? I will sleep, they will sleep. He slept so soundly that word 7 says the angel came and struck him to wake him up. The question is, how can you sleep according to... Scripture itself, when the king is planning to execute you tomorrow, how can you sleep so soundly? It's because you are resting on the promise of God. We sing that song, standing, standing on the promises of God. That's why I said, you need to know your purpose, you need to have your promise, and you will be able to look death in the eye and say, I shall not die. I shall not die. I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. And when the works is all finished, Peter says, the Lord has told me, time to go. No time to go, time to come. Time to put away your tent. He knows. He knows. These are real. My disaster will not destroy me because my destiny is stronger than my disaster. Like I said to other two indestructible entities on earth, planet earth, one is church, one is Israel. Because they have been birthed with purpose and they have been given promises. If you look at the other great man in the Bible, that is John, no sorry, Paul. Every place he went. Beaten, 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 flogged, stoned for dead, imprisoned, drifting in the ocean, in the desert, hungry, naked. He himself gives an entire list. But you know what? You cannot kill that man. Reason? Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go for his chosen vessel of mine. He's a chosen vessel with purpose. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And Paul knows I cannot die. Because why? I haven't stood before Caesar yet. Before I started my journey, I was told, you will stand before kings. Agrippa, one. Felix, one, two. No, Caesar also. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I will not die. I will not die. So when everybody has given up hope and getting ready to die in the ocean, he comes and says, take hope. The Lord sent an angel, told me, I've given everybody's life into your hands. You know why? Because you are the only man in the ship with a purpose and a promise. These dudes have no purpose, no promise. But for your sake, I give them. They shall all live. A viper can't kill him. A viper bit him. And he just shook the viper into the fire. The fire, the viper died. Paul is standing along. Why? He cannot be killed. 
he cannot be killed you know why because a man with a purpose and backed up by the promise of god god is not random doing it only for a few people he says for all my children all my children come learn no so the question is we need to ask is are we going down everybody is going down to egypt are you going down and when famine struck abraham went down you know when abraham went down to egypt he lost his purpose he had no promise to stand on no promise to stand on and god is not looking at abraham he picks sarah and rescues her because she is standing on the promise that is why peter will says be like sarah who did not give in to fear when abraham gave in to fear she stands up when he is weak and stumbles she stands up and god brings her out and for her sake brings him out he had nothing to stand on in egypt he had nothing no purpose no promise and when he comes out you know what he does he goes straight back to the altar and puts everything right so the question is Are you going up or are you going down? If you're going down, weight helps. <laughs> If you're going up, the lighter, the better. The lighter, the better. So the question is simple God asks, we are not talking about physical weight okay? <laughs> If you're going up, the lighter the if you're going down it doesn't matter the more you carry the better the simple question now is the difficult question is can god allow satan to strip you of everything will there be still something left that's a question job job could claim i can see we say you know job 42 Verse 5, I see, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. When did his eyes see him? His eyes saw him only after he was stripped of everything. From chapter 3 to chapter 37, he is not mourning over the loss of his children. over the loss of his property he is fighting for his name and his reputation it is this righteousness that comes from the law which is self righteousness have i done this have i not done this have i done this have i not done this have i done this have i not done this then god comes up and he shows job his righteousness which comes from the law compared to the righteousness of god and he says verse 6 i abhor myself i repent in dust and ashes now he's been stripped of everything god says i can restore you now he's light this is the most difficult part god has to do in every man or woman before they can become an overcomer the righteousness that comes from the law the self righteousness and paul struggled with it that's why he says as far as the law is concerned blameless and he just throws it away okay that's what happened to paul on the road to damascus a blameless man according to the torah he saw his life in the light of jesus he says the light was like 10000 suns together my righteousness in comparison to 
Christ's righteousness. He says, like Job, he says, I abhor myself. There is nothing good in me. And I'm telling you our obsession with our name and self. You touch that. Even saints will growl. Much of the anger of saints is not connected with the name of God, but because their righteousness has been touched. Who do you think? What did I do? I did all this. Telling you, once we've been stripped of that, that is when we will be able to really, really see God, understand God. And that's the last he has to strip. It is not easy. We will fight for everything for our name. You know, when Jesus began, he began first stripping himself of his name. He made himself of no reputation. Born in the least of the least cities called Bethlehem. Born in a manger. Born out of wedlock. As far as the world is concerned, he is illegitimate. So you know what? He began straight away from the bottom. Oh, Ephrata, what are you? Hamlet? Village? Where were you born? Manger? Who are you born of? Who knows? God knows. Man doesn't know. So he began right from rock bottom and stayed that way all the way to the cross. And we do not realize that is where we fight. We fight. Our fights, our struggles are connected with our name and our reputation. And the devil knows that. Devil knows. We are not able to trust. We know that in all things. The question is, do we know? Will we allow God through situations and the enemy as his instruments strip us of everything? Our name? God says, do you want a name now or do you want a name then? You choose. Because Revelation says the overcomers will be given a new name. You want now or you want then? If you want now, you won't have then. You lose now, you will get it there. But Job is fighting from chapter 3 to chapter 37. 35 chapters he's fighting for his name. Have I looked at a woman? Have I not fed that thing? Have I done this? And three accusers are saying, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. Trouble only comes to sinners. And he's fighting. I am not a sinner. I am righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous. Finally, God interprets and says, hey, Wait a second. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Job, what are you talking about? And three chapters later, he says, I see you. And I look at myself. You know what? All my arguments are worth nothing. And devil is after that. That is what true righteousness is. True righteousness is the righteousness of Christ in me alone. That is what faith does. And the devil is after our faith. He's after our faith. Because genuine true faith is, I trust God in all things and for everything, including my righteousness. From the beginning till the end. For there is a righteousness that is revealed that is from God, of God in the gospel. That is from faith unto faith. Look at Luke uh, 22. Verse 31 and 32. Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. He said, I am not praying that you should not fail. Because he failed. I pray that your faith should not fail you. The difference. Peter failed. But his faith did not fail him. He rose up again. 
You should be like Rocky Bilba at the end of the movie, bloodied all over but still standing. Yes, I failed a thousand times, but you know what did not fail? My trust in God that he would rescue me has not failed. I'm not putting my trust in me. I'm putting my trust in him that he will still pick me up from the Mahari clay. I'm not putting my trust in myself to rise up. No, I will rise up because he will hold me up and he will pick me up. Your faith should not. And that's what the devil is after. And when we fail, when righteous men fail, they are offended. They are offended. So Job was offended. And his brothers, three friends, if you have friends like that, you don't need enemies. Three of them come, but they are instruments of God and the devil. To show his self-righteousness. Our faith does not, should not fail. If it does not, our trials and our test will become our testimony. You can never have a testimony without a test. And you overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Yes, devil, I know I fell, but I rose again. He picked me up. It was God and God. And you look at all the great men of God at the end of the day, will always say it is God. So they have a testimony of the resurrection power. Acts chapter 14, 19 to 20. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there having persuaded the multitude. They stoned Paul. Poor fellow, wherever he goes, he gets beaten. Dragged him out of the city and supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So this is it. He's getting beat. And this is one of his worst situations. Other places he was just beaten or thrown into prison or flock. But here he's been stoned to literally death. Nobody's sure. Some people think he died and he rose again. Okay, so he's stoned to the point of death. And look at the next verses. And when they had preached, they went to the next city, Derby. They had preached the gospel to the city, made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Let me tell you honestly, if he hadn't gone through what he had gone through, can he strengthen the disciples? He says, I'm standing. Therefore, you can stand. They even stoned me literally to death. You know what? I fell. My body was broken. Faith did not fail me. Faith, my trust in God did not fail me. God did not fail me. Only those who have come through the power of God, through their trials, their disaster, their their problems, whatever it is, shy valley or shadow of death, can strengthen others because what you are telling to people is not intellectual, it is experiential. I have gone through the valley of shadow of death, but I tell you, he was with me. That becomes your testimony which defeats the devil. Because the devil has nothing, he can do nothing to people like that because he is defeated by the word of their testimony. Instead, what do we do? We try to avoid the very things through which God wants to demonstrate his power into our lives. No. We have to be careful. Our faith should not fail us. Okay. These are lessons. We have to learn through the, during this season, this pandemic, the troubles we go through, personal lives, homes, marriages with children, with church, with office. We go through all kinds of problems, but through it, God is saying, how have you come out? Meek? Lowly? 
Is my yoke firmer, even more firmer? Are you yoked even more closer with me? Have you become more gentle, more weak, more compassionate, more like me? That you look and you understand, you know. That's what they said. Peter, after you have failed, strengthen your brothers. Now you know what it used to fail. Show compassion, okay? Don't like always pull down fire and all. You have no compassion for people who fail, who have weaknesses, who sin, you fail. You know what, Peter? I can use you, but right now you're not usable. I will let you fail. I will do you what you never thought you would dream, that you would betray me even to a servant girl. You know what? So that once you have risen, when you meet brother, brethren who have failed, you will have compassion. You will have compassion. You will show kindness. You will show mercy. You know why? Because you obtained mercy. You obtained mercy. You know what? What is God trying to do? He's trying to make us like him. Because he's merciful. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's meek. He's lowly. He's gentle. <clears throat> You know what Jesus calls Peter? When Peter says, no, you shall not go to Jerusalem and die. He calls him Satan. You do not have the will, the heart or the purpose of God. You know what? You're opposing the purpose of God in my life. You, Satan, get behind me. You know what he calls Judas? My friend. You know why? Judas was the disciple that helped Jesus the most by taking him to the cross. While Peter was opposing the cross in Jesus' life. So he called him Satan and called him the other friend. Of the twelve disciples, who took Jesus to the cross? Judas. All the other eleven were stopping him from the cross. But the cross was the one which would fulfill his destiny. Fulfill his destiny. I'm not saying therefore what Judas was done right. No, that's not the point. The point is that, you know what, sometimes our enemies define who we are. With those who are good, we are good. Those who are friendly, we are friendly. But God says, what about your enemies? Do you pray for them? <clears throat> do you bless them? When you see them and they are in need, do you turn away? They will define who you really are. Because why Bible says, when we were enemies of God, Christ Jesus died for us. That's the nature of God. The nature of God. <clears throat> please, please understand. Who do you call your friend? Who do you call your enemy? Luke chapter 1 verse 32. We'll go till 9.30. This is being told by angel Gabriel to Mary. He will be? Wait a second. NIV, NKJV, yes, we all will say he will be great. It's fine. KJV will say he shall be great. Both. He will be great, he shall be great. Meaning he was not born great. He has to become great. What will make him great? All that he will suffer, how he reacts to that, will make him great in God's eyes. He's great. He's come in the human flesh. He's born, conceived in his, when he be conceived in your womb, he will have a destiny of three years, 33 and a half years. How he finishes will determine whether he will be great or not. And from time beginning till the end, he will face all kinds of issues. How he will react to it will determine whether he will be great or not. Hebrews 5, verse 7 to 9. 
Got it? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. This is how he's praying, crying, weeping. Was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by things which he suffered. Obedience to what? To the will and the purpose of his father. Yoke to his father. Meek and lowly. Learn of me, he's telling them. Yoke to his father. He became, he learned obedience. Through what? Through what he suffered. You know, I wrote these notes in the morning. <clears throat> Just lived for 33 and a half years. If you want, you can calculate it, you know, how many days. If you're good in maths, 33 years and 6 months, how many days. But his entire sufferings in the body was less than 24 hours. you know that? His entire suffering, pain, sufferings in his body was less than 24 hours. And we put such a premium on the body. But he was afflicted in the soul. Afflicted in the soul. You understand that? We talk about the persecuted church. And you talk of the church that is not persecuted. But you know what? The persecuted church usually goes through the affliction of the body. The church that is not persecuted goes through the affliction of the soul. They don't beat you up. They betray you. They slander you. They gossip about you. They take your name away. They take your reputation away. And God says, can you still bless? Can you still allow my life to pour through you? There they beat you up. They break your bones. They put you in prison. They put chains. They lock you up. So you cannot preach. But still, God says to them also, you're beaten in the body, but how will you react? How will you react? That's what I said. Don't look at Jesus' suffering. It was less than 24 hours. Don't look at the cross. That had a purpose for atonement. But that's not a big thing. The big thing is how he lived. He was shamefully used. Call all kinds of names. Betrayed by everybody till the end. Even his family did not believe in him. Your body could come out, but your soul could be still in prison. Or your body could be in prison and you're absolutely free in soul. That is Joseph. God is freeing that man in prison. He thought he was ready. God said, no, two more years. Two more years. As soon as the butler is gone, the cupbearer is gone, he said, please put a word for me, the Pharaoh. God said, not yet, son. Two more years. Two more years. You're still thinking about home and not purpose. If I release you now, what will you do? You'll go back home, right? You've forgotten your purpose. Your dream, the dream that I gave you has nothing to do with Canaan. It has to do with Egypt. I will wait. I will wait. So the question is, we say we know. Romans 8, 28, we know. Do we know? Experientially, are we growing in this knowledge? What the devil, what man, devil through man, meant for harm, God meant it for good. Joseph will say it in Genesis 50, 20, right? He will say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it. He didn't say in the beginning, he said it at the end. 
You meant it for evil. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and call according to purpose. What is that he went through? He lost his name. He lost his reputation. Sold by his brothers. Slavery. Chains. Bondage. Thrown into the dungeon. And his good name. Everywhere his name was stolen. And he was in fetters. Until KJV says the iron entered his soul. So Darby or one of the versions says iron entered his soul. No. God says, do we understand? Or what are we fighting for? Are you able to say? Are you able to say? You enemy, you don't gloat over me. That's Micah 7, 8, very powerful. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Not if I fall. Everyone sitting here will fall. And if you think you will not fall, wait and see. Before the day is over, you will fall. And when I fall, you enemy, do not gloat. Do not gloat. Why? I will rise. I will rise. I will rise. That's the proof of the resurrection power. Not if I fall, when I fall, I will rise. You know why? For greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. I will rise. I will rise. When I sit in darkness, not if I sit in darkness, there will be days which is be absolutely dark. No voice of God, no spirit of God. Seems to be slight as Jesus is fast asleep in the boat and the storm is blowing. The winds are contrary. The waves are getting. The water is getting and he's, he's not even waking up. It is dark. But the Lord will be a light to me. This is Micah. It's a testimony of faith. This is a testimony of Christ in you. And you know what? The devil has nothing against that testimony. He has, he's disarmed before that testimony. That's why I said, don't fight the goats. Not G-O-A-T-S, G-O-A-D, the things that God is using you to bring him, you and me, closer and closer to him. And it's only trials and testings and adversities and troubles. First Samuel 27, 1, 6 and 7. 1 and then. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Who told you? Were you anointed to perish in the hands of Saul? Or were you anointed to replace Saul one day? Who told you this? You took your eyes off your promise. You know, when you take your eyes off promise and start listening to the words of man, what will you do? You will, you will find safety and comfort in the flesh. And it looks safe. Verse 6 and 7 says, He went to Philistine, the very people he was supposed to subdue. Akish gave him ziglags that day. And now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months, 16 months, living in darkness. Because he forgot his promise, he forgot his purpose. Living without purpose. City is growing bigger. More and more plunder is coming to the city. Everything is prospering and there are so many Christians prospering without purpose. And one day when that is gone, you are breathing, struggling for oxygen, maybe in an ICU ward. And you had built all these things. By the time you come out, you have nothing because you have to repay the loan also that has been taken to pay your medical bill. You should say, thank you, Lord. Ziglag has been burned down. Because now I have purpose. I understand. I was not meant for this. There was something bigger in my life than this. 16 months. No song. No worship. No psalm. Nothing. You're doing well. After every... He's working now overtime. 
Every time he goes out, he brings plunder and loot. Brings in more money and more money and more money and more money. And God says, you know what? I, I will let you run for a season. But you're a man with a call, with a purpose and a promise. You know what? I will bring you down. And he burned Ziglag out. He burned Ziglag out. Everything that he had built was destroyed. And there are people still clinging to Ziglag. Clinging. Lord, 16 months labor, Lord, I've built it, Lord. Everything is gone. God says, will you let go? Will you let go so that I can start you all over again? Yeah, verse. Yeah, go to verse chapter 30. <clears throat> David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. You know what? Siglak is burnt. Wives are gone. Children are gone. Riches were gone. Now his servants, his soldiers are turned their hand against you. What does it mean? Your reputation also is gone. Have you been stripped completely, David? Yes. Do you have anything? No, Lord. Okay, good. Do you have anything? Yes, Lord. Who? I have you. David, I will tell you that's enough. You don't need anything more. If God is for you, who can be against you? Have you been stripped of your name also? You have stopped fighting for your name as the great warrior. Your soldiers also don't consider you as their leader. They want to kill you now. Everything gone, David? Yes, Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Strength. You know, can we come to that point? Verse 8. <clears throat> David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Only two questions. Very hesitant. And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. The question is, how can you recover all? You have 600 men. They are tired. They have walked for three days, reached here, and then on top of physical tiredness, they are wearied in their soul. They have cried till they have no strength in their soul. Too. They're exhausted in their body. They're exhausted in their soul. How can you overtake and without fail recover all? Because I have a promise. He said, therefore I can. Everything is overruled by that promise. Why are you given the promise? Because you're a man with a purpose. You forgot your purpose. Now wake up to your purpose and continue pursuing what I called you for. Pursue. Pursue. And you will without fail recover all. And on the way, what happens? 9 and 10. David went with him, 600 men who were with him and came to Brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. And David pursued he and 400 men. For 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross. So suddenly from 400 you have come down to 600 to 400. 200 have gone. While the hordes are many, thousands, you are hoping at least 600. Now when you go further, you have how much? Only 400. You know what he did? He told them, take all the luggage, baggage, everything off. You know why? Because when you are going up, you want to go light. You don't want to go heavy. This is an excellent situation. You know what? 200, okay. All of you take off your baggage off. Give it them. Give it to them. We will go light. Because we don't need numbers. We need to go light. You know why? Because we got a promise behind us. He said, you will overtake. You said without fail, you will recover all. And you know what? When he reaches over there, verse 16, what does it say? 
when he had brought them down, they were there spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing. You know what you should say? You enemy, you don't dance over my defeat because it's not over. My destiny is greater than my distress. You don't gloat. When I fall, I will rise. Oh, you know what? The enemy is dancing over your defeat. He does not know. You are not defeated. You are moving towards your destiny. Your faith should not fail you then. Enemy, all around the world, the enemy is dancing. He thinks the church is done. It is finished. And you need to stand up in your prayer closets and tell the enemy, don't dance over my funeral. There is resurrection power in me. I cannot be defeated. I cannot be killed. I cannot be destroyed. Because greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. And you know, when you come to verse 17, it's incredible what comes to verse 17. David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. This is 400 people who had Tired. Morning, 24 hours battle. And you know what? If you look over there, unlike other instances in the book of Joshua or book of Samuel, there is no visible divine intervention. There is no hail, no thunderbolt, no thunder, no fire. Nothing comes from heaven. It is a picture of the resurrection power of God whose faith has not failed. You can fight. And you will win. Because God is with you and God is for you. God is with you and God is for you. And he defeats and he recovers all. That's what God is talking about. I shall not fail. You know why? Because my destiny is greater than my disaster. He called me. He gave me a purpose. And I have a promise. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. What does it mean? It does not mean no weapon will be formed against you. Weapons will be forged in the pits of hell, in the hottest fire, new, new weapons will be formed. The promise is they will not ultimately succeed over you, prosper over you. Every tongue which rises against you, it is not that tongues will not rise against you. More and more tongues will rise against you. Will, will Scandals will come. They will abuse you. They will gossip about you. Sorcery, witchcraft, occult, all kinds of tongues. But what happens in judgment? You shall condemn. Meaning it will not, oh, it will not work against you. Why? This is the come. This is the key. Why does it still work over so many people though they claim this promise? This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is from me. It, this promise will work only on people who have been stripped of everything and standing only on the righteousness of God. I have no name. I have no reputation. I am dead in Christ. My righteousness of God. Therefore, your weapons won't work. Because you know what? Christ cannot be defeated. I can be. I can be defeated. Christ cannot be defeated. Once we come to this point where we have a righteousness which comes by faith and faith alone, you cannot be defeated. The devil doesn't know what to do with people like that. In chapter 1 of Job, you see the devil. In chapter 2 of Job, you see the devil. After that, you don't see Satan at all. He doesn't know what to do with this fellow. So he leaves him alone, sends people. The beginning of his ministry, you see the devil with Jesus. After that, you don't see him. You don't see him. Because you, what, what do you do with people like that? 
What do you do with people like Paul who says, I no longer love, Christ lives in me? What can the devil do with Christ? You see, our issue is we are still clinging on to our righteousness. The Bible says, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Why? For whose righteousness is of God. I have no name. I have no reputation. I have nothing to defend. I have nothing to defend. Nothing to defend. Nothing to defend. It's Christ in me. So every trial, every problem, everything in our lives, if you trust God and allow God to strip us of ourselves, God says it will turn around for your good. Around for your good. As I close, because there are little ones over here, the Abigail's, Emmys, Joanna's, Aman, Sarah's, Arundhati, and you know, I'll give you an illustration which is easy for you to understand. Johnson and Johnson, the company, medical company Johnson, in the 1920s is when they started. They used to make what you call bandage with the gauze pad and all. It was in the beginning when it was was very very thick. Okay, so one of the executives of that company, his wife had a serious illness by which she kept on hurting herself, but he had to go always out. So what he used to do is that he used to cut out the strips and cut out small cotton, the gauze patches, and stick it onto the counter so that when she hurts herself, she could put it. Okay, And that's how he used to go every day because she had some kind of a illness by which she falls and hurts herself. So, used to. so one time there was a company meeting. And the company meeting was their company dinner. Okay, So the CEO and this man, his wife, you know, they call the family Saul. So she was sitting and talking to the CEO. And she was telling the CEO, you know what? Every day when my husband goes, I have this thing. And you know what he does? He cuts these thick patches into small, small pieces and keeps the gauze next to it. And then I, when I fall, I hurt, I put it. And he said, wow, that is a brilliant idea. That's how Band-Aid came in. And you know what? After some time, Johnson & Johnson's 50% revenue was coming from Band-Aid. You know why? Because a woman had trouble. Because a woman had trouble. If she did not have that trouble of falling every day and hurting herself, they wouldn't have understood the concept about Band-Aid. So her troubles led to a company making so much profit. Simple example. So God says, can I get some profit out of your troubles? That is what Revelation 12.11 says. They overcame him, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb. What is that? The work Jesus did. Meek, lowly, yoked to the Father, unto death on the cross, and by the word of their testimony. What is the word of our testimony? It is, it, it is our experience after we have been tested, and our faith did not fail us. And we are able to say, we know. We know. Psalm 23 is not a psalm. It's a man's experience. It's a man's experience. We quote it. He lived it. Lived it. And that becomes our testimony. When that becomes our testimony, you know what happens? There's nothing the devil can do. Let me give me the title before I forget. Sammy, the title for today's message is, and then we shall pray. Your destiny is greater than your distress. So do not be distressed. Do not be depressed.
do not be discouraged do not be down and out because your destiny those who overcome even to the worst church in that seven churches laodicea what does jesus says if you overcome as i overcame shall sit on my throne and peter who understood all that through the goof of he did will finally write in peter jesus has shown us a way when they mocked him when they ridiculed him when they accused him in retaliate continue lord you are my defender i have no name here i have no reputation here i am not going to fight for my name or reputation you will defend my name and when he finished the race bible says god gave him a name that is above every other name like i said you can be stripped of your property can be stripped of your family can be stripped of your health but you will still fight for your name and god says stop fighting for your name and somebody says something about you don't get upset leave it alone i i caused them to say it i caused them to say to see whether you are dead or not you know in revelation 118 what it says i am dead and i am alive only dead people only resurrection power works only in dead people resurrection power does not work in people who are alive flesh power works in people who are alive resurrection power works only in people who choose to die to die so this morning we will pray and we'll close father we just thank you we praise you we worship you lord yes these are heavy truths but they are still true still true the battle for our name the battle for our reputation the battle we fight when we are slighted when people say all kinds of things about us and it may not be true at all and job fighting for his name oh father as you stripped joseph of everything everything you stripped him of before he could put him on the throne those who end up in eternity has overcomers will only end up having been stripped of everything and before they can be restored they will find and they will know christ is enough and christ is more than enough their eyes would have seen you yes our ears have heard you for years and years week after week our ears have heard you but we need sal for our eyes that we can truly see you and truly see ourselves in the light of who you are that we too can say like job i abhor myself there's nothing absolutely nothing in me that is good why should i fight for myself there's nothing good let me fight for something that is good let me fight for god for his name bring glory to his name oh fathers i believe you have spoken to many wherever they are wherever they are listening from that there is a righteousness that is of god given freely to man through christ jesus and that is the only righteousness that will save us and keep us and take us to the other side of eternity and help us to cling to the cross die to our flesh 
and cling to your righteousness and your righteousness alone, O Lord. Then we will also be able to know, we know, I know, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Yes, Lord, do your work in us. Do your work through us. Help us to be a holy vessel in your hands to be used as you see fit. Thank you, Father. I pray those who have been walking with you for years will discover their purpose during this season. Abraham had to live in the promised land for so many years before he found out why he was there. There are so many in the church who still don't know why they are in the body of Christ. I pray, Lord, people will discover their purpose. They will receive their promise. And then, nothing can take them down. Their faith will not fail them. That's what we pray. Our faith will not fail us. Thank you, thank you, Father. I pray for everyone who asks for prayer, for A's, for RG, for SG, for AZ, for Safia, the brethren in Israel, the brethren in Saudi, so many places, Middle East, in Australia, Alaska, U.S., everywhere, Lord. You love them. You've seen their failings. You've seen them falling over and over again. Oh, Father, they are weak, but you are strong. My prayer for all of them is, Lord, their faith will not fail them. That they will not hold on to their reputation or their name anymore. They will let go and cling to the cross. And on the other side, you will give them a name and a reputation that will last eternity. Oh Lord, to hear that word from your lips that day, well done, Sabash, well done, my good, my faithful servant. Oh, to hear that. And then your word says in Revelation 22, they shall see me and serve me. Then our eyes will truly see you. And we will serve you all the days of our life. All the days of eternity. That's our purpose, Lord. Now and forevermore. To that end, I commit everyone, Lord. Even the little children here. These are not children, ordinary children. They are children of destiny. All of them. Children with a calling and a purpose. And I pray one day they will receive their promise. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Be with us through the day. Evening Q&A. Be with us, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.